Hi there, welcome to Singing Our Way Home podcast. I am your host, Eva Popov, and in this podcast, we will be talking about wellness and creativity and how the two intersect and work together to make life a little sweeter and richer. Each episode features a new conversation with somebody about their creative practice so we can learn a little bit more about this thing we call creativity and how it can support us as we make our way through life. I recorded this podcast on the lands of the Wurundjeri people and I would like to take a moment to acknowledge and pay my respect to this place, to the elders, and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. I think there's a space that people don't speak about enough as writers, which is really the spiritual space, the emotional space, the psychological space you need to be in to deeply know these characters and deeply know the environment that you're speaking of and that you're creating for people. Hi everyone, how are you going? In this week's episode of Singing Our Way Home, I speak with Tariro Mavondo, writer, performer, actor, poet, spoken word artist. For anyone who has had the privilege of being in the room whilst Tariro is performing, you would have witnessed a rare and captivating presence as she creates magic with words. As I speak now in the background, you can hear the collaboration between Tariro and the Australian Art Orchestra, an album called Closed Beginnings. And you can find that on Bandcamp and on all the streaming services, and it will be linked in the show notes. Tariro was born in Zimbabwe and emigrated to Australia at the age of five, where she established herself as an actor, spoken word artist, and the CEO of youth theatre company Western Edge. Since this time she's taken a sabbatical and is now living in Barbados where we spoke for this podcast across time zones and across great distances. We spoke about language and courage, about listening to the body and the ways we can retell our stories to empower ourselves as well as an accomplished award-winning artist Tariro is also a trained facilitator and offers online workshops to find out more i'll be linking to Tariro's website in the show notes at www.singingourwayhome.com stay tuned i hope you enjoy this interview and see you on the other side now you were born in Zimbabwe and immigrated to Australia, I think at the age of five. And I'd love to hear a bit about the place that you are from and your relationship to it. I would say that Zimbabwe really exists in my DNA, in my cells, in my blood, in my bones, in my skin. Um... I feel deeply connected to Zimbabwe on a metaphysical plane. I didn't grow up in Zimbabwe. I left Zimbabwe when I was five. And so I'd say my connection is a real kind of ancestral and genealogical connection. And 
sort of the way traditionally Zimbabweans, um, similarly to First Nations people actually in Australia, there's praise poems. People are uh, from different, have different totems and that's sort of divided by uh, land or marked out, carved out by land. And so um, people from the landmass, like another tribe will memorize and make sure they know another tribe's praise poem, which is sort of um, asking permission to enter someone else's land. And so my mum's tribe is the soko, means monkey. And so often the totems are, that's the distinguishing feature is that they're um, characterised by the dominant uh, animal of the region. And the soko is a royal uh, totem. And so my mother or my grandmother was the last princess of that kingdom uh, before British colonisation ceased traditional practices and knowledge systems. It was like literally illegal to practice, um, illegal by, by death. So that was a way and um, of, I guess, dismantling and um, a form of era erasing um, Indigenous peoples' knowledge systems. Um, and on my father's side, um, he's really interesting because he's um, sort of on the on my matrilineal, uh, patrilineal line, or patrilineal side. They're actually not from Zimbabwe. They're actually from what is now the contested areas of um, Palestine and Israel. Um, and they had to flee actually uh, during um, Babylonia. That was a time when the decree was uh, that you're only Jewish if your mother is Jewish and my lineage or my ancestors from that side are not um, Jewish on the mother's side. And so they had to flee and they fled to Saudi Arabia um, and Yemen. Um, and then when it was safe enough to do so, I think they were asked um, if they were given the option to either stay or to return back to Africa. And um, some of my family stayed, chose to stay, and some chose to uh, return and travelled further and further south. And some decided to stay in different countries as they were kind of migrating further south. Um, and landed in South Africa and Zimbabwe. And, and so, um, so on my father's side, they married into my grandmother's uh, family. Um, but still, they were given their own totem, which is Ndul, which is the elephant totem. So, so people, Zimbabweans will know that the Ndzol actually aren't traditionally from Zimbabwe, um, but what is really kind of known about the Nzol is um, the contribution they made in terms of ac um, architectural knowledge that they brought from uh, Northern Africa. I, um, I love how already there's the sense of journey 
in order of arriving at Zimbabwe, particularly from your father's side. And then there was another very big journey to Frankston in Melbourne, um, which I'd love to hear a little bit about your time growing up and your origins as an artist or a creative person. Mm. Yeah, I think journeying is such a huge sort of um, mapping of who we all are. And, um, yeah, my father was offered to do his master's at um, any of the Ivy League uh, universities in the world and he'd been sort of, uh, he's an academic, um, and so he had been travelling previously and he had visited most places in the world uh, except Australia, and that was one of the options. And so he was like, yeah, I'm going to take the risk of somewhere I've never been. Um, And, yeah, so a year... So he was in Australia for a year and then we joined him as a family, um, which is me, my brother and my two younger sisters and uh, and my mother. And um, we landed in Frankston because he was doing his master's at, uh, at Monash University, um, the Mornington Peninsula campus. And we were staying literally in a two-bedroom flat and um, life was such a it was such an inversion because when we were in a, when we were in Zimbabwe we were part of the kind of upper echelon of society if I was to shape it in, in terms of a class um, class divide um, and then coming to Australia we suddenly became lower lower class. Um, working class and so that was a massive shift in the body and then we went from being majority to the minority in terms of race or um, as a marker of difference which was also another resettling that needed to happen in the body for all of us and we all kind of dealt with it in very different ways Um, and so for me I think I've always had a, I'll say, an, a very natural inclination to the arts and to self-expression and to critical thinking. And so, um, yeah, I wasn't, I'm not surprised that my journey as an artist started quite young. Like I was really, really like uh, I would, even in Zimbabwe, my grandma on my mother's side, um, always said, oh, she's going to be a scholar because my head was always in the, in the books. Like I spent more time reading and consuming the worlds on the page um, than I did in kind of real life. And it was the same when we moved to Australia, to Frankston. The library became my home and I, I, was, I am such a quick reader because, um, yeah, I just loved to be immersed in words and language and um, to imagine all these characters and environments and, yeah, and places. I think 
partly was, I think partly actually, you know, I just kind of had an aha moment. I think psychologically it was probably to escape from having to deal with all the complexities of what it is to resettle, where I think the demographic of where we were living in Frankston was uh, mostly working class and there was a lot of friction because um, at that time there wasn't a lot of African migration um, in Frankston, whereas now it's much more, yeah, there's much more diversity. But back in the uh, early 90s, yeah, there wasn't a lot of um, Africans and so that was a real point of... um, of tension and it was really difficult to um and especially as a sensitive soul I think um I took it yeah quite um quite hard because I think for the first time I understood that my skin color meant something and it didn't necessarily mean something good and I usually, and I remember as a young person or as a child in Zimbabwe, I loved my, the, the melanin. Um, and I just couldn't understand why this beautiful, black, shining, glowing skin was something that was really negative. And as a, I think also a natural born leader, um, I wanted to lead the other children and I was in I was placed in a position when where I was actually subservient or um victim versus uh or like uh, yeah versus um the leader and I found that really really difficult. <laughs> um yeah so I I so I think that yeah I just naturally um really fell into the arts um from primary school, I was uh, dancing, ballet, um, jazz. Uh, I didn't like tap, so I didn't do tap. Um, and I also wrote. I was writing um, for our grade six production. I was writing um, my character. And I was also singing um, and acting. And so, yeah, I also was dabbling in, like, I, I wrote my first rap as well. Um, yeah. How did that go down? I thought it was really cool. Well, my brother kind of helped me. Um, I thought it was really cool, but looking back at it now, not so cool. (laughs) But there was an attempt. There was an attempt. But yeah, so I think I've just always really, yeah, been drawn to the stage that's felt much more like home than real life. Thank you. 
how as an artist do you relate to language and words sometimes you are performing as an embodied performer and the body becomes a medium and the words are in the present moment and sometimes you are writing as a storyteller and I'd love to hear about your process in creating stories and poems with language. Yeah, I think for me, um, writing is such a sacred space where that actually needs devotion um, and time and to be in a particular zone to drop into it because the story usually that needs to be told I have to really slow things down and be in a in a still space and generally if I move if I do some stretches and I and I listen to some music that's a lubrication that's a preparation of the body to listen to what story wants to be told and then I'll nowadays I used to just write on a notebook but now I type and I just sort of like listen to non-text non-vocal music and just kind of get into a, a zone sometimes it's no music it's just sort of the musicality of um of just what's happening around me and then I'll um I'll just allow the words to arrive and generally I just sort of type uh, without necessarily thinking too much. Yeah, and if a word doesn't feel right, I'll get a feeling and I'll then kind of play with what word feels right until it that feels like that is the word. Like I feel like words hold each word holds its own world. It's an entity unto itself. And um, and so the qual- so each quality of each word means something. Um, so I'm really precise with language and and with words and um, and honoring also that it's also a very ancestral space as well. I feel like that is where my ancestors sort of communicate also, like especially if I'm writing um, about race or identity or connection, the spirit, the spiritual space feels, um, or the philosophical space, um, yeah, my ancestors sort of communicate um, through images and metaphors. Um, so that's where I kind of develop my relationship with sort of ancestors is through writing as well. And then and then in terms of like um, performing or acting, I love that because that's a completely different thing. It's like um, really, really accomplished and seasoned writers, the character is literally ready for you to receive um, just through the language just by um, listening to how they speak and how they view the world 
they're there. And so it feels like I'm channeling uh, and bringing alive the character and another author's um, character off the page into my body. And that's a really special kind of, um, it feels like a really special gift to be given that opportunity to do that. Um, and then when when the characters are, are alive and being witnessed through audience, that's also a very special relationship as well because it's not Tariro, it's this other um, life force that is shifting and transforming and... Um, and moving me and moving my uh, on, my ensemble members and moving the audience and it's like this and we're being affected in real time um, and that there, there, there's something really, I don't know, there's something really magical about I think that performance space and then when it comes to embodying my own words, I would say that's another thing altogether is um, I'd say I'm developing the mastery of sort of my written poetry specifically for it to be read. But generally when I write poetry, it's to be spoken. Like it's a, it's very intentional or it feels like another force within me. Or it's like a, it's like another force beyond me as Chiriro knows how the words want to be spoken, whether they want to be repeated, whether they want to be omitted and not spoken in that moment. So I'm doing a lot of like um, editing on the floor, depending on audience, depending on energy, depending on the spoken words itself. And I can't explain it. It's um, in terms of in a really technical way, it just feels like almost like a, I don't want to use the word trans, but it's it is sort of, feels very much like I am being moved by something beyond myself um, for the very purpose of um, creating a sacred space in a moment in time where I'm giving the audience invitation to uh, allow them into my space, into my world, into my um, spirit, into my heart. Um, and in the spirit of reciprocity, I'm also inviting them to allow me to enter their space and to be moved by my words and, and again, be like similar to um, a theatre production, to be allowed, yeah, to allow each other to be moved and to take it somewhere else so it becomes this whole other thing that we're co-creating in real time. Um, and so all of us are kind of transformed afterwards in some way. As I listen to you speak, I am thinking of the courage and the trust I feel it would take to be able to step into that space. Does it feel like that to you? People do say, wow, you've got so much courage, but it's, um, I don't feel like, I don't, I feel like it's so innate. And also technical through, I think, studying 
acting training for three years, I think that gives like a grounding and a structure that I actually don't value enough, actually, that um, that training and that discipline has really been built into my system. When nerves come, a deeper knowing kind of overrides the nerves. And then I just go into this real calm place. Um, and that's taken time for me as an artist, actually, as a performer to get there. But... Um, no, I don't feel like it's courage. I feel like it's purpose. And you just spoke now about the training and that makes so much sense that to have, I guess, the agility or the ability to um, negotiate. To me, when I hear you speak, it sounds like there's just all these energetic entities, whether it's the poem, whether it's the character, whether it's the story or the ancestors when you're writing. And... It feels like your ability to tune into those entities feels, you said the word innate, but you also have done a lot of training to be able to create those spaces and step into those spaces, uh, both in drama and in dance. I'd love to hear a little bit more about how that training supports you in that work. Yeah, because I think um, there's kind of... Um, different things I want to speak to here because I think there's a naturalness um, which I think everyone has. I think that that um, everyone has a purpose and I feel like my purpose is my voice and um, and the power of my voice to be able to connect and to be able to shift people into seeing things differently therefore they're changing by doing that um, and so I feel like it's raw and it needs to be refined in two ways I think um, technically uh, I went to drama school the VCA and I did a Bachelor of Dramatic Arts and I'm so kinesthetic, so I'm so, like, the way I learn is through the best way I learn is through the body. Um, I'm visual as well, and obviously uh, text, texty as well. Um, but in terms of actually for things to stay in my body, for knowledge to stay, I need to move it. And that's the way that um, VCA trained actors was really to move words into their body, then to layer the words with memory or with some kind of substance to, to really ground the words. That kind of approach really worked for me. Um, and then I wanted to go even deeper into kinesthetics and go further into it, um, to somatics which is um, which is then combining emotion and our mental um, emotion, physical, mental, psychological, and spiritual states. Because I believe that so so I trained at Tamalpa Institute in California, which is a um, which they work in that way. They're a um, expressive art, movement-based expressive arts 
sort of training institution. Um, and they really work with story as living from the premise that stories, like we're majority made up of water um, and water stores information. And um, they work specifically with, um, with I guess, the our physiology so with with so with different parts of our bodies so body types um uh, sorry not body types body parts <laughs> um and so we really spend like a long time on each body part to really listen to what stories are stuck and trapped there that are stopping us from being so there's a therapeutic component to it so i wanted to go to move away a little bit from um, just kind of, ref- which is fine, but just kind of uh, refining myself as an artist and um, and really understanding my physiology, understanding vocal technique, understanding breath technique, understanding performance technique. I wanted to go into a a, um, a, a deeper place. And so Tamalpa was able to be that space where I was able to explore intensively for a year. The alchemy of understanding kind of like my body and what stories I was telling myself, what mythologies I was telling myself um, that were holding me back, what memories. um, And when those stories come up, when you're just concentrating on feet, and so they use... um, modalities uh, that sort of allow people to uh, use metaphor Um, and so feet so what am I walking towards what am I walking away from what am I how am I grounded or not grounded and so and so I started to understand the power of listening deeply to our bodies and and finding stories um, and being able to transmute those stories um, once they are heard and are alive and are listened to and creating other stories that are much more fruitful and positive for my evolution as a human. So we've just been speaking about the stories within the body and you mentioned rewriting the stories or looking at new ways of telling the stories and the mythologies and as a facilitator you offer that to people and I'd love to hear a little bit about that process, maybe how it's impacted your life or how you've seen it unfold for other people it sounds incredible yeah that's what was really I think powerful about um about the Tamelpa program is that you need to sort of understand it first before um being a before facilitating it for others and so it's it's quite an intense um work because you're working with um I guess a Jungian concept like your shadow, your shadow work, and um, and using beautifully using um, multiple mediums. So we would use poetry or movement, or poetry and movement, or just sound, um, um, or words.
visual art um, to to bring different elements of the story out. Giving so I think the creative space already is a space where you are already transforming and metamorphing the narrative. Because really, like I think memory that stays in our body is that just that. It is how we remember what happened in our lives. And so already there's a form of fabrication. And so I think the creative space, because it is artistic, there's a, it allows for the possibility to retell that story from a place of empowerment versus from a victim mentality. You become the creator and that comes from a much more empowered directorial space as opposed to this is what happened to me. It's you claim you claim your memories, your histories, um, and create new myths that um, puts you in a position of power. And that for me really actually was a massive evolution in terms of my uh, personal growth, not just artistically and as a facilitator, but I really got to know myself on such an intimate level and was able to give myself so much empathy and love and celebration um, for all I'd been through and all that makes me me. And with the understanding that I can recreate, I can always recreate me, I can always remap me, which makes me a creator, which I feel is a really powerful position to to exist in the world. It sounds incredible. I want to do your workshop. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> please offer it again. Um, I'm also curious because you mentioned that you have begun writing a novel and I think of writing as quite a thing to do in your head. But when you speak of the stories that are held in our bodies and your own approach to writing and listening. I'm so curious about how creating a large piece of text is informed by this knowledge that you've uncovered through your work and training. Yeah, I think it's all of it, right? Like in terms of um, allowing and embracing that there is part of it that is logos, that is so much so about mind and structure and logic and how to piece it all together and um, what are the themes that I want to discuss, what are the characters, what's the conflict. So there's all of that that is important. And then I think there's a space that people don't speak about enough as writers, which is really the spiritual space, the emotional space, the psychological space you need to be in to deeply know these characters and deeply know the environments that you're speaking of and that you're creating for people um, and the work person on a personal level that needs to happen to be able to tell the story. Like a lot of my writing mentors kind of say the same thing in terms of if you're writing a story that doesn't um, isn't challenging for you, then it's not it. It's got to be something that 
is also evolving you and and you're moving through something and um and the novel that I'm writing is my first novel um and there's so much pain um that I've had to really meet and and sometimes it's been too painful to write and so I've had to actually do some personal work through therapy and through looking at my shadows and being in nature has been a real resource to be able to be ready to tell that painful story and again move through it um, in the hope that someone else can see their pain and their pain is validated and can find a way through their pain. Um, and it is a real spiritual journey um, of permission, allowance, curiosity, love, self-love, trust. Um, I bow to every writer, uh, novelist, because it is, it is a lot. It takes a lot to, um, yeah, to write to write a novel. And a very internal journey. And I, I think of you in particular having gone on like a big round-the-world journey recently in your life, but it sounds like the journey of writing is a whole other level. It feels like it's a whole other layering of the same journey. That's actually I'd call I'd call myself courageous for this because when I was in Melbourne, um, I loved my job at Western Edge, and I lo I loved the life that I was creating. But something bigger than myself was pulling me away. Something was saying you need to grow and you need to get more uncomfortable. You're getting too comfortable. Um, and so it really took courage to admit that to myself and then to act on it. And it's one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life was travel majority by myself around different islands um, around the world and, and confronting myself, going, okay, like, who am I now? And who do I want to be? What is stopping me? And... What are the green lights? Who are the angels? Um, and it just, I needed to feel alive again, I think, in, in, in being uncomfortable and uh, uh, so allowing myself to be moved by the world again, to be moved by completely different people in completely different environments and to renew my sense of hope. I think that was the peak of the pandemic and... There was a lot of isolation and um, I think a lot of people, not just myself, were really introspective and really looking at themselves and and um, I saw something that was really beautiful was um, when we were all still, that was an opportunity for us to open the door to admitting the things that weren't working and doing and spending more time away from work, um, majority of us, and spending more time with loved ones, spending more time in nature because we couldn't go anywhere else. I think it was a kind of returning home to self. And um, 
and and I think a lot of people sort of the great re- the great um, resignation. Um, a lot of people resigned and a lot of people moved to the country and there was a lot of shifts happening in the world. And um, it, w- it felt like on tom- in terms of a macro level, we were all kind of going through the same thing. Um, and that felt like a really good opportunity on a micro level for me to um, to explore another part of myself. I wanted to kind of started a neutral and um and clean or or a, a a clean slate my question to myself was am i really an artist or is there something else that i am that i'm not um aware of that was one of my questions that was one of my line of inquiry and to explore other parts of Tariro because i think i was starting to get uh, too over-identified with Tarira the artist, Tarira the performer, Tarira the CEO and artistic director of a youth theatre arts company. Like, yeah, it was like I, I needed to um, fill my cup again and re-meet myself again. And that was really hard because I was leaving people I love um and the create the the spaces of infinite possibilities and care and relationality and and um, success and that we were building, I just it was so hard to let that go, but I was doing it in the service of seeing what happens when I restart. <laughs> swell and ride the wave strong and supple swirls we collide into other swirls that become valleys of butterflies set free from the cage and the swirls become the ocean and we go pieces of land and the ocean rides us and we pray that mother time shows us mercy has proven she does not wait for no man and birthday candles are lit and then blown out by solo hands and black leather shoes weep at the weight of not being able to carry us to funerals and dry up from not being worn and we pray deep down in the belly of the beast we pray deep down in the belly of the beast can you hear we summon A large steamboat, can you hear? In the distance we summon as it nears, can you hear? In the distance, our arms reaching out to a sorry world, can you hear? In the distance, we look right into Mother Courage, each of us in two places at the same time, ready to collapse into star things and start over deep down in the belly of the
For people wanting to access their own creative power, what advice would you have for them? To firstly know that we are innately, organically, naturally creative. We're creators, like we create our lives, we create schedules, we create what we're going to, how we're going to feel a day. So it's not that much of a step in terms of finding or discovering your artistic self because it's it's combined with uh, that we are already innately creative. Like as humans, the way we process the world is through images and metaphors um, and that is kind of pervades all of the civilizations, human civilizations. And so um, rediscovering the creative self is, um, it's just so beautiful when I'm facilitating a workshop because I'll give prompts, I'll offer prompts and visualizations and writing time in if it's like a writing performance workshop. And there's rarely resistance People just, there's something that I feel is really intuitive in us to be, to be expressive. And it's just gifting yourself permission this, of, of, to be in a space to allow your creative gifts to unfold. Um, yeah, I think that's a good first step is allow yourself the space to explore your creative self and permission. And when resistance has come, one of my mentors at Tamalpa, Anna Halperin, who passed away at 100 a couple of years ago, one of her things was, if you can't move your whole body today, just move your finger just move your little finger um, and that is, that is more than enough. And so like be with what is actually happening and sometimes it is about um, bigger breakthroughs where uh, this is where I think really great facilitators are very intuitive in terms of knowing when actually not to to push someone when they're not ready and when to go. I think giving people, like knowing how hard, soft, everything in between to go with people. And so there are times where you can just see it so clearly that somebody is ready for that big breakthrough and that there's big resistance and that you just need to give them a gentle, or not so gentle, a big push in the most loving way. And it's uncomfortable at first. And I would say 100% of the time, um, that big breakthrough is transformative. Um, and the person has changed forever. So, Tariro, I've got one final question for you today. What is your greatest hope for your work? 
Tariro means hope. The greatest hope in my work. I used to think that it was for it to be witnessed and seen and felt and moved by the most amount of people. But I think, I think now, my greatest hope for my work is to be part of social change in whatever way that looks like. Um, to know that I was an active agent and to know that I did my very best. Um, I think that's what I think that is it first and foremost I think it it really is I think it starts with me going I want to know I did my best I want to know that I mastered my craft not in an egoic way but in a I was a devotee to my art and I loved myself enough to have lived a purpose-filled path. You have been listening to Tariro Mavondo speak on Singing Our Way Home podcast. The music that you're listening to at the moment is the Australian Art Orchestra, the album Closed Beginnings, which is a collaboration between Tariro, Ruben Lewis and Peter Knight and the Australian Art Orchestra. I thoroughly recommend it. It's just a magical listen. You can find links to Tariro's work at today's show notes at singingourwayhome.com. You can find her on all social media platforms. And, of course, I'd love it if you would come say hi to me, Eva Popov. Singing Our Way Home is on Instagram. You can send through an email, subscribe, follow, review. All your support is so very much appreciated. Thank you for listening and see you again another time.